This is another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. Uh, as always, you can find my newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. It goes out every Monday at 9 a.m. Central Time. And it's an amalgamation of Bitcoin stories uh, that are interesting or technical um, that I gathered over the past week. All right, let's get to this week. Bitcoin's political moment has arrived. Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 252. The infrastructure bill has a Bitcoin clause in it, and the clause has absolutely blown up. The particulars of the clause and the various amendments themselves are significant and interesting, but that's not what I'm writing about today. What has been the more intriguing development has been the Bitcoin community's influence. The whole business of politics and legislation is really gross and disgusting, often compared to sausage making. That process usually involves a lot of lobbying and amendments and negotiation, which we've seen on Twitter the last week or so. All of this doesn't usually kick off without some significant lobbying, and boy are we seeing that here. The single Bitcoin provision already has three amendments proposed to it already, including one to strike it entirely. This does not come about without some threat behind it, and what this week has shown is that Bitcoiners really do care about the issue. But then again, this has always been the case. Even back in 2011, Bitcoiners cared deeply about the regulatory environment, and many back then were trying to get clarity. What's changed now is the sheer number of people involved. Four years ago, Bitcoin investors consisted of 2% of the investing class, and now we're at 6% and poised to grow. Some estimate that 40 million Bitcoiners are in the U.S. with higher concentrations around younger voters. For politicians looking to the future, it makes sense to pay attention to this demographic. In addition, there are many other reasons for politicians to woo this demographic. Many in Bitcoin couldn't care less about politics, so they may very well convert to single-issue voters. Bitcoiners also have a good deal of money, which is something every politician needs. Finally, Bitcoiners have low time preference, meaning that they're going to have some long memories and not let politicians get away with betrayal very easily. Politicians may score points by voting against the interests of the Bitcoin community in the short term, but they're likely to suffer long term if they oppose Bitcoin for too long. This is bad news for politicians like Elizabeth Warren, who seem to be positioning themselves squarely against Bitcoin's ability to provide savings technology to the very people they purport to represent. By the time Warren's up for re-election in 2024, will this be enough of an albatross around their neck to get her primaried in a heavily Democrat-leaning state? We shall see. Regardless, we've hit a cultural moment where Bitcoin is flexing its muscles politically. This isn't some brief encounter, but one I expect will last a long time. Yeah, this past week has been all about the infrastructure bill. It's kind of crazy that it's been sort of dragging for like a week and a half now. And it kind of shows the power of uh, what Bitcoiners can do through lobbying. Um, you know, it was supposed to be voted on like last Friday or something like that. And I think Chuck Schumer really wanted to pass this bill as quickly as possible. Uh, but there's been delay after delay, largely because of this one little provision that the Treasury seems to have inserted last minute as a way um, to regulate this industry. Uh, but instead, what's happened is right now we're at kind of this 
uh, you know, a, a lot of people seem to have called into their senators and so on. Um, there were there was a lot of noise being made on on Twitter about this, but that seems to have had an effect. And a lot of senators are interested. They're trying to, um, you know, help their constituents and uh, as well they should. Um, but it, it's kind of crazy how much muscle uh, the Bitcoin community has in this regard because. We are legion. There's a lot of us, and the votes are going to matter. It's not some, you know, um, subsidies for ethanol or something like that, which tend to be, you know, like issues within a particular region or something. Instead, this is going to be um, a big issue that's uh, going all over the place. Uh, let's talk about some Bitcoin. Andrew Polstra and Russell O'Connor have written up how they implemented Schnorr signatures using simplicity. The article is informative, not just to understand that simplicity really is a great smart con contract language, but about the limitations of the current Bitcoin script. Uh, specifically, the limitations around what's getting signed still plague the network with any prev out being one of the ways to expand it. As they show, simplicity allows signature modes that are way more flexible. I applaud their efforts to bring a better smart contracting language to Bitcoin, especially, essentially written from scratch. It will be interesting to see if it's used in the same in the way they imagine on Liquid. Yeah, so simplicity, of course, is, uh, is sort of like a moonshot almost. Um, I, I don't know if or when it would uh, come into Bitcoin, it would certainly have to be maybe like SegWit V3 or V4 at the earliest. And that's that's probably like, I don't know, uh, five, six years out at the least, um, probably closer to 10, I'm, I'm guessing. It's, uh, it, it's not um, going to easily get consensus. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, the, the way simplicity is designed is that you can prove the correctness of a program, um, you know, because of its primitives and so on. And you can uh, write these uh, very interesting, essentially smart contracts using it um, that are provably secure and so on. Uh, and, you know, Schnorr signatures are obviously a very nice um, sort of thing to have and they implemented it within this contracting language and as Adam Back has said you can implement lots of other things as well um, you know that that gives the developer a lot more flexibility whether that flexibility is desired by um, the rest of the users is, is the big question um, I suspect that like most probably don't care that much about it uh, but then again like who knows we'll 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 have to see samurai wallet has started a series on understanding privacy on the bitcoin network this article is a great uh, or overview of what trackability is with concrete examples of utxos being used to trace the spending patterns of a particular user then they explain coin joins and how this defeats the tracing Part two covers more advanced concepts like external transaction data, graph analysis, and wallet clustering. Overall, the articles are a good primer on some privacy issues that wallet developers and users should think about. So Samurai's been focused on privacy for quite a while, and I, I, think, it, I, I, I think it was a good thing that they um, you know, put all of this down and, um, and wrote about privacy from uh, you know, like what what's lacking in privacy within Bitcoin and how sort of coin, uh, chain analysis works and so on. So, 
Um, if you're interested in privacy and how to defeat it and so on, I think um, you know, this is worth reading. CoinOS is an app for doing Bitcoin payments over Bitcoin, Lightning, and Liquid. Uh, the project looks like an interesting self-hosted way of doing payments back and forth. Um, so I, it, it's it's a new project and it's it's meant to be sort of like a personal server software that you can use uh, to do payments back and forth. Um, not unlike a lot of the other um, projects that are out there, Umbral, Start9, you know. Um, uh, uh, why, why can't I think of the other one? Uh, but there there's multiple other. Um, you know, server, uh, you know, hosted server, server software that you can use to for this sort of thing. And you know, the more um, development there is in this area, the better. And more open source projects, the better. Uh, Lightning. All right, Kevin Rook shows how the Lightning network is probably bigger than you think. Essentially, the argument comes down to the fact that much of what's going on in Lightning is data that's uh, hard to collect and therefore much more private than on-chain transactions. There's probably more capacity and channel activity than we know about because much of it can be hidden from the services that collect such data. This was a good reminder that the stats that we see online about Lightning Network are only a portion of what's really going on. And this is due to sort of like the private things that you can do within Lightning. Um, you, can, you can have a channel and like basically not tell anybody about it and there's no real way for them to know how much in transactions you actually did over that channel. Um, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. It gives you privacy, um, but it makes sort of like central data collection very, very difficult. And uh, the stats that we do have are basically off of the public channels that people announce to others and so on. Um, and those are a uh, decent thing to keep track of, uh, but that's not the entire Lightning Network is, uh, is the point of that article. Agora is a file server where you can host files and charge for file downloads. By default, the service do doesn't charge anything, but you can hook it up to a Lightning node and charge sats for downloads. This is a really cool project that I think needs incorporation into the decentralized web in general. Upload bandwidth is not free, and charging for what would uh, for that would be very useful to defray server costs. And you know, you can obviously imagine more interesting things like you know, charging for downloading an MP3 file or an ebook or something like that, um, which people already do. Uh, it's just that the payment mechanism tends to be very clunky, right? Like you have to hook into like a PayPal API or something like that, and in order to do that, you have to have a merchant account on PayPal. In order to do that, you probably need a merchant bank account at your local bank and so on. It's, uh, it's way too many steps. Um, you know, having something like Lightning is much easier and something that's a lot more accessible to people, uh, at least financially. Uh, although technically, it's, uh, it's still kind of hard. Jameson Lopp gives advice on Lightning Network liquidity management. His advice in the article is counter intuitive but sound don't just connect to the big nodes that everyone else is connecting to and instead focus on creating new bridges on the network to really earn fees as he notes this is a competitive market and innovation on figuring out where to connect is bound to appear there's probably money in there for you if you can figure out the most desired routes to create um uh, I, I thought the article was interesting because it really is about building out the network. And if you just connect to the big ones, I mean, you're, you're not going to make that much money as a router. 
And this is uh, sort of like one of the weaknesses of the current implementations of Lightning. They, they're all sort of uh, focused more on the consumer ex experience and not necessarily the router experience. And I, I think it's going to have to sort of split down that route. Um, as he says, in the, he specifically mentions in the article, don't use like the default of you know, LNDs like where, where they want you to connect because they're just going to connect you to the biggest one so that, uh, you know, you can be a consumer and you can pay people and so on, which might be great if you're uh, just paying. But most, uh, more like for people that are routing that want to earn fees, well, you, you want to connect the people that not other people are connecting. This is, you know, how Southwest makes money and and things like that you 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 want like um the routes that no one's thought of that there's a lot of demand for and th those are the places to actually um create umbral has released a new version of its personal server software not uh only does um do umbral servers have bitcoin and lightning software installed but they're expanding their servers with photo hosting and torrenting I would lo love to see a personal mail server, calendar server, and the like to reduce dependence on centralized wall gardens like Google's. The decentralized web is coming and companies like Umbral are making it happen. Yeah, um, and this is something that I've been going on for about for a while is that you can either uh, you know, call to a giant central wall garden like Google or you can call into your own server. Now that's obviously a little more difficult because you have to run that server and a server is not free. You're going to have to maintain it and make sure it's protected and secure and all that stuff. Um, and Umbral is trying to help you do that. But this is how you get a decentralized web when there's a lot of people that are willing to serve up content as uh, as well as consume content, right? Like that's how you become decentralized. If you don't, if you have only a few servers, that's that's a centralized web. Um, but if you have lots of servers, then it becomes more and more decentralized as more people use uh, those servers for various things. And um, you know, I I think I like how the direction that this is going. And Lightning seems like a very natural way in which uh, the decentralized web expands. Economics, engineering, etc. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler has made a surprisingly accurate speech about Bitcoin and how the SEC will be treating it. He certainly seems to have a lot of respect for Bitcoin and has hinted that there's a lot of scamming in the altcoin space. I'm optimistic that he'll be cleaning out the cesspool of fraud that is altcoining. This should be relatively easy since altcoins are so obviously centralized. So. I mean, it, it sounded to me from the um, from the speech that he he really wants to regulate the altcoins, and he uh, and he wants to do it in a way to like absolutely crush them and say, okay, you guys are issuing securities, you you need to come under our umbrella, and um, yeah, I mean, the, this is going to absolutely devastate them if it comes to pass. Now, there's. Um, a lot of other things in play, obviously. Uh, you know, all corners are probably going to fight this tooth and nail. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think it'll expose just how centralized they are. Uh. Tomer Strolight uh, shows how Ethereum is really not different than central bank-backed fiat money. The analogies are sound, and for people that tend to lump together cryptocurrency and think that 
there are variations of the same thing. Uh, this article exposes Ethereum for what it is. Ethereum really has central controllers, the cantalometers, and the public uh, from which it extracts value. Good to send to your eth-confused friends. Um, so, I mean, this, like, Ethereum bothers me to no end because they continue to be able to scam with, I don't know, now it's like the London hard fork and other stuff. And, uh, like... They, they're continuously changing narratives so that they can scam new people. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I got to be honest, they've been successful in doing that. Um, but, you know, this article sort of puts the light, okay, yeah, they, they're really centralized, like extremely centralized, and it's very obvious when you read the article. So, yeah, have your friends read it. In a similar vein, Alex Vetsky gives a thorough analysis of why Bitcoin and not shitcoin. This is a more thorough article with a devastating takedown of altcoins. This distinction is very important because Bitcoin is lumped together in the cryptocurrency space, usually under the banner of innovation. As Alex points out, the savings aspect and store value is what makes Bitcoin what it is. And he emphasizes the importance of savings going forward. And this is, this is a, a subtle distinction that I, I've, uh, I've seen sort of play out in the and the infrastructure bill as well. Um, but when you're when somebody is touting innovation, they're usually promoting altcoins. When somebody is promoting savings, they're usually promoting Bitcoin. And the thing is, there really isn't any innovation in the altcoin space. Uh, whereas, um, you know, the major innovation that Bitcoin allows is being able to save without like dependence on a third party, and that that is crucial. And that's something that a lot of people, I don't think, really get yet. And it's not a narrative that's that popular because innovation is so much easier to sort of spout about. Um, but savings is very important, too. And I, I, I applaud this article for um, bringing that to the forefront. Jameson Lab has the results from altcoin node sync tests. The results weren't good. Ethereum has bloated significantly in the past couple of years. And a full archival node requires 8 terabytes of space. Other altcoins are also clearly not engineered very well and usually have clear bottlenecks that their devs are either ignoring or are incapable of fixing. Honestly, it's surprising to me how few people seem to be able to distinguish technological garbage like the software he examined versus something well engineered like the Bitcoin Core software. And that's the thing. Um, like a lot of this software, especially like some of these altcoins that no one's really heard, or that are lower on the coin market cap tiers or whatever, I mean, there the engineering there is just horrendous, and like you can clearly see it in the software when you try to run it. Um, unfortunately, like not a lot of people care about that. It's really just about a speculative frenzy. But this is going to end in tears. Like ethereum is a, a a complete horror show and this is why they're moving to ethereum 2.0 hoping that they can fix the problems that they created with ethereum 1.0 i really don't think it's going to happen because the engineering stuff that they're trying to do is just insanely difficult and i it's very clear to me that they're not making the right choices i mean it really does uh sound like some somebody that learned uh, a concept last week and is trying to implement it and thinking that they're going to do it perfectly. I mean that that's how terrible it is. And but, uh, you know Ethereum has been like that from the beginning. Anyway, uh, like good to just look at to um, you know see just how poor the developers are on these other coins. 
Fluffy Pony, a longtime maintainer of Monero, has been arrested. This has to do with something he did before Monero, but it's not hard. It, it's hard not to suspect that there's another agenda in this, uh, given that the amounts are a pittance to a r very rich man like him. I expect a lot more prominent altcoiners to start getting in trouble, given the many sketchy things they've been doing over the past ten years. So, the thing about um, you know, governments is that um, if they don't like you or think that you're behaving very badly, um, they're going to get you, um, even if it's not for the thing that they think uh, you're doing something bad about. I mean, th this is like, you know, how they arrest mobsters, right? You, you, they um, put up racketeering charges and maybe mail fraud or something like that. Uh, not Not necessarily because those are the main things that these guys did, but because those are the charges that stick. And Fluffy seems to have fallen into that um, that hole there, and he's unfortunately in prison as a result. Um, but you know, I, I like this is something that I've been talking about for many years. Is that you know a lot of these altcoiners, they I like prison's not a uh, 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 um, a distinct uh, it, it's not a like remote possibility it's a, it's a distinct reality I think that you're going to have to look at in the next 10 years and you know um, if you don't then yeah, I mean like this is this is how a lot of these things end is you know you're partying hard for however long and then you get arrested and you know your party's all over I mean it's what happened to Bernie Madoff and many others all right, some quick hits. Bitcoiners should really consider moving to Austin. This is an article about, um, you know, how it's become sort of like a Bitcoin mecca. Um, and I've certainly seen it in the, you know, many years that I've been in Austin, uh, you know, way back in like 2013 or something when I started going to the meetups. It was a much smaller community than it is now. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of people moving to Austin for that particular reason. Breedlove apologizes about BitCloud. Um, so that was, I, I haven't listened to all of it, but, you know, I mean, he basically said, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, um, you know I, I don't know how you feel about him, but, you know, that it's, it's worth listening to if, you, um, if you're interested. Another week, another altcoin suffers an attack. This one was BSV, and they've been suffering a bunch of 51% attacks. Um, and we always knew that this was a distinct possibility, uh, mostly because their hash rate is just so insanely low. Um, and the lower it goes, the worse uh, you know they can get reorged. And I think this particular reorg was like 100 blocks. And it's not completely known whether or not that was uh, used to double spend an exchange or it's just to create chaos or something like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. Like, this, this is... Uh, this is an existential risk because if if you have bigger reorgs coming down, um, yeah, it's it's going to cause the price to continue going down, and it's kind of a vicious cycle as as price going down causes the hash rate to go down, which makes the attack easier, causing the price to go down, and so on. Another month, another exchange operator exit scams. Um, yeah, uh, so lots of exchanges. <laughs> do this uh the, I, I i like this is why you don't keep it on uh you know on an exchange uh you know not your keys not your coin all right i uh some events that are coming up i will be at the bitcoin standard conference this week august 12th to 14th in ensenada 
Mexico, BitBlock Boom in Dallas on August 26th to 29th, Token 2049 in London, England on October 8th and 9th, and uh, in Atlanta, uh, TabConf uh, November 4th and 5th. And I will be doing the programming blockchain seminar in Mexico before the Bitcoin Standard Conference, August 10th and 11th. Um, after the uh, Token 2049 conference in London, October 9th and 10th, and before the TAPCON conference in Atlanta on November uh, 2nd and 3rd. Uh, and, you know, if you do want to learn uh, Bitcoin from me as a programmer, then you can apply, and I do still have some uh, scholarships. Let's see. Uh, my podcast this week on Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Jason Less, who's the CEO of Riot Blockchain how he got to be CEO, uh, what the mining industry is like, and how it's poor, uh, poor, helping a lot of poor communities. And, of course, I read through last week's newsletter um, as well. I was on Tone Show to talk about Fluffy's arrest, uh, the Eth Politburo's uh, last latest, and, uh, and much more. Um, I talked about the new book uh, with Blue Collar Money and biblical wealth podcast uh, and you know both are both are very christian uh so if you're a christian and are interested in my argument uh for bitcoin from a christian perspective you can listen to those my other books are the little bitcoin book and programming bitcoin both of which are available on amazon unchained capital is a sponsor of this newsletter i'm an advisor and very proud to be a, a part of a company that's enhancing security for bitcoin holders if you need multi-sig Collaborative Custody, or Bitcoin Native Financial Services. Learn more at Unchain.com. Fiat de lenda es. This song is done.